If it is your first time here, you know, Merry Christmas. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. Today we are wrapping up our Christmas series that we've been calling at just the right time. Now, the title of this series comes from a little hidden detail that I stumbled upon uh, about Christmas in a book of the Bible that you would never expect to find anything about Christmas. Buried in the middle of this sort of deeply theological letter that Paul was writing to a group of believers in Galatia. He said this about Christmas. But when the time was right, and in week one we talked a lot about timing, but when the time was right, God sent his son and a woman gave birth to him. One of the things that we know is that God had a plan for this world, and his plan was always to send Jesus Christ into this world to die on our behalf. He established this plan all the way back at the foundation of the world, quite, quite frankly, but he spoke about it in Eden but according to Paul, he waited for just the right time to execute his plans. And 2022 years ago, everything had apparently fallen into place just as he wanted it to be. And so he pulled the lever, launching those Christmas plans to save this world. And in this series, what we've been doing is we're taking a look at the individuals who were a part of God's Christmas plan to find out how his plans impacted their lives and how it might impact ours today. So as we wrap up this series, I want to take a look at three groups of people. I want to look at the Magi, also known as the wise men. I want to look at King Herod. And then I'm going to wrap up by taking a look at the Jewish priests. So each of these groups, or individual in this case, each of these groups received the exact same message of Christmas. They all got the same announcement. They all heard the news about Jesus and who he was and what he would do. And yet their responses to this news, to this announcement, were, were wildly different. So what I want to do today is I want to examine their responses. I want to look at their reactions. And my hope is that by looking at their responses, it will help us to do a little bit of soul searching to see what our response to the Christmas message, so to speak, might be. Because our response to Christmas, or really our response to, to Jesus, can tell us a lot about our relationship with God. Do we even have a relationship with God? Maybe you don't. Um, uh, or if we do have a relationship with God, is it thriving? Is it growing? Is it, is it a relationship that is challenging us to, to live better, to, to, to impact the lives of other people? Or maybe your relationship has gotten a little stale. By the end of the day, you're going to know where you fall on that. So today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Now here's the thing. Normally I like to kind of go verse by verse and stop and talk through it and all that kind of stuff. Due to the structure of the story today, it lends itself to being read in full. So I'm going to read it in full, and then when we're done, we're going to make our way through it again. So it's 12 verses. I just want to put that out there. Okay? I don't want to lose you guys because I know what it's like having to hear a lot of stuff. It's 12 verses, but I think we can do it. You ready? Here we go. 12 verses. Okay. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. So gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then 
Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when, they found, and when you found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down to the ground and worshipped him. And it wraps up. Then opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country another way. And scene. So, we got the Magi, we got King Herod, and we got our Jewish priests. And we have three very different reactions to the news of Jesus Christ being born. I'm going to start off by looking at the Magi and their reaction. Because for them, Christmas is inspiring. So who are these Magi? We don't know a ton about them, but what we do know is actually very, very interesting. So we know they're from Persia. Now, Persia is about 900 miles away from Bethlehem. To give you some context, Richmond, Virginia is 900 miles away from Fort Lauderdale. Right? We know that these men were involved in the occult. Um, they were involved in magic. Our term magic comes from magi. We know they were priests in their own religion. We know that they were scholars. And most famously, we know that they were astronomers. These are men who studied the stars. So the big question that I always had for many, many years when I, when I read this story, and I finally got my answer, and I'll let you know what the answer is, but my big question always was, how did these magi know this star pointed to the Messiah? And a better question is, why do they even know what a Messiah is? I mean, they're, they're not Jewish, and then they're from a very different part of the world. Well, the answer is, Theologians believe that the Magi, at some point in the past, came in contact with Jewish captives. And one of the greatest stories in all of Scripture is Daniel and the lion's den. Many of you know that. Even if you're not really a church person, you've probably heard that title of the story before, Daniel and the lion's den. Well, in that story, if you remember, Persia came in and conquered Israel. They then took Jewish people out of Israel and brought them back captive into Persia, or as they called it, Babylon. Daniel was one of those captives. Now, while he was in Persia, he proved himself to be a very capable individual, and, and God used him in that nation. Well, soon, the king of Babylon noticed his abilities. Take a look at what it says here. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his, here it is, wise men. 500 years before Jesus Christ was born, Daniel, a Jewish man, was put in charge of the wise men, the Magi. Now, furthermore, from scripture, we know that the angel Gabriel, who appears in the Christmas story, he went to Mary. Gabriel went to Joseph. Gabriel went to Elizabeth's husband. That same angel, 500 years earlier, went to Daniel told Daniel about the coming Messiah, gave him all kinds of prophecy as to what was to come, when he would be born, uh, what dates this would happen, the location that he would be born. And so we've got to assume that Daniel, who was in charge of all the wise men, told them about this Messiah, what he would be like, 
where he would come, when he would be born, all this kind of stuff. What Daniel was doing with those men is he was planting a seed in their lives. For many of us, someone planted a seed about Jesus in your life. Maybe it was a parent or a family member. Maybe it was a friend or even a coworker. Now, at that time, it just seemed like facts. It just seemed like information. Honestly, it may have just seemed like nonsense, and you didn't really even pay attention. But one day, you saw a star, so to speak, and it all clicked. You know, you were reading the Bible, and all of a sudden, it made sense. Or you, or you heard a song sung in church, maybe, and all of a sudden, it made sense. Or you heard a sermon preached, and all of a sudden, it made sense. The pieces of the puzzle came together, and for the first time in your life, you saw Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Even though it started to make sense, you didn't fully understand yet, but you stepped out in faith to, to learn more, to seek out who is this, this, this Jesus person. That's what the wise men did. For 500 years, this prophecy had been passed around the wise men academy, so to speak, when all of a sudden it was, whoa, 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 would look at that. There, there's the star that we've been talking about all these years. And so they journeyed 900 miles to see Jesus. They left behind homes. They left behind families. They, they, they risked it all to go see the Messiah. And when they got to him, it says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, that is a clunky kind of English translation, but this really captures the original scripture. These men were ecstatic. Now, why wouldn't they be? I mean, prophecy has been fulfilled. God has proven himself to be real, and the Messiah was born. The message of Christmas inspired those magi. It, it invigorated their faith, and it drove them to worship. But for King Herod, Christmas is troubling. Why, why is Jesus troubling? What's going on there? Well, you got these magi, these important men from a different country far, far away. They show up and they ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. What's so troubling about this announcement? What is troubling about Jesus being born? We talked a little bit about this last week, but I want to go in greater detail. See, for Herod, Jesus really does represent a challenge. Herod wasn't just any old king. He was in the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire bestowed upon King Herod the title, wait for it, King of the Jews. And he loved that title. He defended that title at all costs, so much so that we know that he would destroy anybody that got in his path. Historical documents let us know that he actually killed his own wife and children because he suspected them of treason. So when these wise men show up looking for the new king of the Jews, that's a problem. Because for Jesus to reign, Herod had to be deposed. Because you can't have two kings, right? I mean, if Jesus is king, Herod can't be a king. If Jesus is going to rule, Herod can't rule. Where Herod is struggling at a political level with Jesus, I think a lot of us kind of struggle at a spiritual level. Scripture's clear that Jesus wants to be king in our lives. But in order for Jesus to have control, we must give up control. Mm, we don't want to do that because we like to be in control. I, I want to decide what's good for me. Thank you very much. I I'm going to decide how I spend my days and how I live my life and what I do, you know, with all, you know, all that kind of okay. Now, as Christians, 
we like to think, we like to tell ourselves that we have submitted our lives to God. To use a famous analogy, we might say something like, you know, my life is like a home and God has access to every room in my house. But one day King Jesus shows up and he makes a beeline to that closet and he's like, well, what's in here? Nothing. Really? Jiggles the handle. Why is it, uh, why is it locked? Well, that's, that's, um, <clears throat> that's my closet. I, I got, I've got, uh, you have access to every room in this house, but this is my, <clears throat> that's my closet, and you don't have access to that area. I'm, I'm in control of what goes behind those doors. Isn't it true that we all have that one room that's locked to God? Now, what's locked behind those doors is different for every single one of us. Some of us might keep our finances behind that door. Some of us might keep our dating life behind that door. Some of us might put our addictions behind that door. We all have that one room that we are not willing to or we are not ready yet to kind of give access to because that's troubling. We don't like the idea of King Jesus having total authorities in our lives. Now, let me tell you what we don't find troubling about Jesus. We, we don't find baby Jesus troubling at all. We love baby Jesus, right? You can, you can pray to baby Jesus in a movie, everybody laughs. Baby Jesus means it's Christmas time, right? Get to sing Christmas songs. Baby Jesus means the Christmas decorations come up. We can put the tree up. We love baby Jesus. Nothing troubling about baby Jesus. We also love the idea of Jesus being our cosmic concierge. Patent pending on that term, right? Some, some, some guy in the sky that we can just fire off requests to. I need this. I need that. I need a job. Can you heal this person? And he answers. But when King Jesus shows up, and says something like, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Some of us lose our minds. How dare you, Jesus? Who do you think you are? How can you say that you're the only way? And we try to shut that down. And so we cast out. You know, we'll say things like, well, Jesus was a great man. He was a great teacher. He was a great leader. He was a champion for the marginalized, but he wasn't God. Or we'll cast doubt on his very teachings. Did Jesus really mean what he said? Not for nothing, he's a Jersey term, not for nothing. But watch out if you ever ask that question. Because that is the very lie that Satan whispered into our ears in Eden. Did God really say that? Now, we might call his teachings bigoted, old-fashioned, outdated, for, for a different time. We've even tried to outlaw Jesus. Get it out of the schools. Get it out of the workplace. Keep it to yourself. Now, take a look at Herod's attempt to shut Jesus down. It says, Herod sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. You read verses like this and you realize, man, have we whitewashed the Christmas story. We sing songs like Silent Night and it's a beautiful song, but there was bloodshed in the streets. Now Herod's response to the news of Christmas was extreme, but it shows you that for some, Jesus is troubling. Jesus is threatening. Jesus means that we got to give up control, but we don't like that. And the last group, 
that I want to focus on are the chief priests. Now, here's the thing. The chief priests amount to having really the smallest role in the entire Christmas story. But for Christians, I know we got a lot of Christians in this room, and particularly what I would call lifelong Christians or folks that really have been a follower for a long time, these may need to be the characters that we, we study the hardest, that we really pay attention to. Because for the Jewish priest, Christmas is, mm, meh, okay, it's, 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 it's like if, if, the, if the Magi spiritual life could be described as being on fire, the chief priest could best be described as, as lukewarm, unmotivated. All right, let's take a look. So, you can, so the Magi show up. And they're, and they're looking for the Messiah. And Herod wants to get to the bottom of this. So it says, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. So Herod is like, hey guys, come here. You guys are Jewish, right? Yeah, we're Jewish, okay. And you've studied the scripture? Yeah, we know it well, okay. And you've been waiting for the Messiah, and now he's here. Can you tell me where he is? And they said, oh, yeah. Bethlehem, it's just six miles down the road. And then they quote for him a 700-year-old prophecy. They say this, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They got this memorized. They just rattle it off on the spot. But what do they do with it? What do they do with this scripture? What impact does this knowledge have on their lives? Does it, does it inspire them to go see the Messiah? No. They don't even get off the couch. See, they've got head knowledge, but they've got nothing going on down here. And it honestly makes me wonder how many of us are, are like this. I mean, do we actually believe the Bible? Or do we just have it memorized? Do we actually believe when we read scripture? Do we believe that God really answers prayer? Do we truly believe that God heals, that God is in control of our lives and what is happening to us? I mean, have God's promises changed our lives in any discernible way? Does Scripture drive us to find God? Does it drive us to live selflessly for others? Or are they simply verses that we quote to other people? Oh, you're having a bad day? Romans 8.28. See, it is possible, and I believe this happened to the chief priest, it is possible to lose your passion for God. And I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know if it's that we get used to God. I don't know if it's that we take Jesus for granted, which is hard to imagine, but maybe it's the circumstances of our lives. It's work, it's this, it's that, okay? But if we don't continually fan the flames of our faith, that fire that we had for God can start to go out. Jesus once said to a group of Christians, he said this, but I have this complaint against you. Ooh, boy. That's not what you want to hear Jesus say to you. But I got this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. He's like somewhere along the way, and I don't know when this happened. He knows. Somewhere along the way, it just seems like you lost the excitement and the joy of your salvation. Think about the spiritual leaders in this story. They knew the Messiah was six miles away, and they didn't go. I imagine Herod is like, you, bo you boys going to go to Bethlehem to see your Savior? And they're like, well, 
we were going to. But honestly, the traffic is so bad during Christmas. And like the off-ramp that we got to take is closed. And then we get to do this whole thing. And it's like, okay. And like parking is a nightmare. And honestly, work was so much this week. I'm just exhausted. And I just, you know, I just, we don't have the headspace right now to get involved in all that. And so we're going to go next week uh, when we have more time. If something better is going to come up. Meanwhile, the Magi walked 900 miles for what looks like almost two years. And they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I got to be honest with you, when I saw that, it absolutely convicted me. I mean, it really did. Because how many of us would look at our spiritual life and be willing to admit, that's the thing, not publicly, but in your heart, that maybe just maybe we become a little lackadaisical with reading the Bible or our prayer life or sharing our faith. We're serving other people. We're just going to church. Eh. Six miles. I'll get to it when I have time. Honestly, it's almost as if God has become an obligation. Let's get real. We're all friends here, right? I know we don't want to admit this. And I know we wish this weren't staring at us on an 85-foot IMAX screen. (laughs) But if you search your hearts, Isn't it true that at times you kind of see worshiping God as an obligation? Now imagine if hypothetically, and I'm not saying you do this, I'm just saying imagine hypothetically. We put a percentage of the effort into our relationship with Jesus as we do the gym or our appearance or our careers or curating our life so it looks impressive on social media. We're planning vacations. Now think of the hours we put into these activities, not even on a yearly basis. I'm talking like a daily basis for some of us. Think about the excitement we have for these activities. I mean, I don't know about the gym, but everything else, okay? We hire life coaches. We hire career coaches. We hire personal trainers. We hire travel agents to make sure that these areas in our life are top-notch, firing on all cylinders. But when it comes to prayer, when it comes to opening up God's word, when it comes to just, I don't know, going to church, eh, six miles. Something's got to change. So what if this year coming up, 2023, we began to live our lives like Christmas is the best news we've ever heard? Because it truly is. 2,022 years ago, the time was just right for God to send his son into this world to be our savior, that should you just say yes to him, not any work of your own, just have faith that he is who he was, your life can be changed forever. Your sins can be forgiven, and you'll be made right with the creator of this universe, your heavenly father. There is no greater news than that. Imagine what this church would look like Imagine what your family would look like, this city, this country, this world, if we pursued our relationship with God like those magi, if we rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we throw this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So as we bring this year to a close, As we bring this series to a close, I have two practicals, 
for two different groups of people, and I don't know where you are on this, but you will. For the first group, I believe that this Christmas season may be just the right time for you to take a leap of faith. Maybe you're here today, or maybe you're watching online, and, and you would say that you actually have been feeling kind of this pull towards God. And, you know, and maybe someone in your life did plant a seed about Jesus long ago. And you would say, I, f- I feel like that seed is, is um, starting to grow. Now, this whole Jesus thing is still very much a foreign concept to you, okay? But it's starting to take shape. If that is you, I would challenge you to jump in with both feet. Don't wait. <laughs> say yes to Jesus. It will change your life. Now, for those of you in this room who are Christians, maybe, just maybe, today's message made you a touch uncomfortable. It did for me. Because maybe you relate to those chief priests a little bit more than you'd like to admit. And so maybe this Christmas, it's just the right time for you to rediscover your relationship with God. Maybe you've allowed your joy to dwindle, right? Maybe you you let that spark die out. It happens. No judgment. You're human. But let's just make sure we don't stray too far for too long from our first love, Jesus Christ. Let's refuse. I like that word. Let's refuse to take God for granted. Let's remember the joy of Christmas. Let's remember what God has done for you and for me. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, You know, the Christmas story is, is one that we hear every year. And to be honest, Lord, it, it can be like the same old thing where we just, we're just so used to it, God. But when you opened my eyes to that line that it was just the right time, it dawned on me how profound your plan is for each and every single one of us. That before the beginning of time, you had set in motion a plan to send your son to die for me and every single person in this audience. God, I pray that this season, that if there are folks in this room who do not know you and do not know your son, I pray that something would change in their life. That a switch would be flipped. That a light would go on. That a star would appear. And for the first time in their life, they would see your son, Jesus, and know that he came for them. And for those of us in this room that do know your son as our Lord and Savior, I pray that that you would light our faith on fire, that we could go into this next year with just a newfound appreciation for who you are and for what you've done on our behalf. I thank you for your son. Thank you for the story of Christmas. We place all of these requests in Jesus' powerful name.